It's great to be back with you all. You know, the psalmist thousands of years ago said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Today I said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to PBC. <laughs> it is awesome to be with you all today. And uh, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Thankful that the congregation board at North gave me the day off, so to speak, to come over and be able to speak here today and continue to pray for them in their pastoral search. They're one of our sister churches in the valley, and God's doing some amazing things there. But it is excellent to be with you this morning. I'm so thankful uh, for this opportunity. And, uh, you know, Tim told me this is a family Sunday, and uh, that, that's an important concept throughout Scripture and in each of our lives. And... I read something just a few days ago. There's an Ian Duncan Smith who was the Secretary for Work and Pensions in the UK, and he was quoted in an article blaming the collapse of marriage for the soaring crime rates and accused the Labor Department even of undermining family in a speech that he gave. He went on to say that the country had paid a, quote, heavy price in deeper poverty, high crime, and poor life chances for the children of families that failed to stay together. He was addressing the problem of broken homes and the downstream effect of that in the culture in the UK. And I want to quote, he said, family life affects all of us, what happens on our streets, in our communities, and in our economy. What you learn from a very early age has a great deal to say about the person you will eventually become and the life that you lead. We would be foolish to ignore the weight of evidence which shows just how influential family life can be to life outcomes. It is important that we recognize the role of marriage in building a strong society, especially if you want to give children the best chance in life. He went on to talk about this. These are just some bullet points. Children from broken homes are, quote, more than twice as likely to live in poverty than two-parent homes. He quoted figures from different sources putting the cost of the economy in the country, this is the UK, at a breakdown between 20 billion pounds and 40 billion pounds a year. If you don't know it, the pound is worth more than the dollar. So those are some big numbers. And he said children from broken homes are nine times more likely to become young offenders. It's an effect within crime. That didn't even speak to the rise in anxiety, depression, anger, violence, lack of conflict management skills, poor self-esteem, poor grades, and lack of accomplishment. When we look at all of that, I think you could say with me that, that family matters. Where I was reading this is in an article online out of the Huffington Post. And I looked up, okay, Huffington Post, I, I've read stuff from them before, who are these people? And I kind of expected a real conservative think tank. It's not. It's actually the opposite. It was founded as a countermeasure, and they would call themselves progressive or liberal to counter the Drudge Report, which is conservative. Well, think about that just a second. That's not what I expected. When the opposite side is speaking to the values that as followers of Jesus we hold dear, shouldn't we say, wait, if they don't recognize that, shouldn't we in triplicate? The answer to that is yes. His observations underscore this, and the scriptures have spoken to this all along, the truth that family matters. 
And there's certain aspects within family as to how we get together. One of the first things, we're going to look at a passage, and I ask you to turn with me to this. It's not long, but we're going to go from here to a lot of other places in Scripture. But this is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. And it's going to single out four different people within family structures in the first century and in the 21st century. It says this, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, and I would say parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, that in four quick statements is addressing four different groups within the body of Christ. But I want to say that if we look at a parallel section of Scripture, and we're going to do that, if you want to put up your finger here and then over in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to see this, that in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to learn that this is not wives, husbands, children, parents, but Christians because you and I are a part of a bigger family. We are part of the overarching body of Christ, the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. His blood flows through our veins. So when you talk about blood kin, we are blood kin with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we sang about this morning. Isn't that great news? And we are, bit, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are part of the family of God. And so in Ephesians 5, it gives specific statements to wives and husbands and fathers and children. But before it ever gets into that, in verse 21, it says this. It says, by submitting to one another in the fear and reverence of Christ. That's how we get along with each other. You know, I heard someone say this years ago, and it was a little limerick. And it basically said, to live above with saints we know, that would be glory, like heaven, right? That would be glory. To live, below with, to live below here with saints we know, that's a really different story. It's hard, isn't it? Anybody have family squabbles? Like brother-sister rivalries and sibling rivalries and going at it with each other? Of course. I'm the first of seven. We had some real knockdown dragouts. Okay, so how are we going to get along in the family of God before we talk about these specific groupings within the nuclear family? And this applies whether you are on the other end of the spectrum and you are an empty nester or maybe you're a single parent because of, not parent, but a, a single household because the death of a spouse or some other reason, or you have not gotten married, you don't have children yet. It, wherever it is in the body of Christ, the overarching rule is respect one another. Love one another, respect one another. And we want to talk about that before we get into the specifics of these passages to the different groups. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others to be more significant than yourselves. That's the swing thought. That's how we do this thing. With humility. Considering the needs of others to be more important than your own. I like what Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, it's not like groveling like a worm. Oh, woe is me. I'm a piece of trash. There's no, don't diss God's creation that way. God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Don't diss what God has done. But humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? It's who's going to get the priority here, whose needs are going to take the focal point. Philippians 2, 4, the next verse says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. You see, we are, our default setting is that we're pretty egocentric. We think the world revolves around us. My mind, my needs, my wants, my desires. We are very childish in that fashion. A, a toddler gets that in spades, correct? You don't have to teach them this. You bring them home from the hospital and they will let you know when there's a problem, won't they? Because if they ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. I mean, can I get an amen to that? Yes, right. Okay. So First Peter says this. He's talking about the, the humility component. First Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourselves. Put this on like a suit of clothes. All of you, whether you're married, whether you're not, whether you're an adult, whether you're a child, Whatever your family structure is, a member of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, all of us should club ourselves with humility toward one another. Here's the reason, for God opposes the proud. You want to take it on and you want to say you're the center of the universe, God's going to oppose you on that one. I don't think you think, you, you may think you can take him, you can't. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, Emily and I had a book years ago that we really loved by Chuck Swindoll. Some of you have heard of him, but he was pastor for many times, radio programs, president of Dallas Seminary for a long time, in case you didn't. But he wrote a little book, and it's called Life Home, Where Life Makes Up Its Mind. And there are some great sections in there. He talked about one of the things that ties to this, and he was about the clubhouse that the kids had, and he saw the clubhouse rules painted on some pieces of wood outside of the clubhouse. Here they were. Nobody act big. Nobody act small. Everybody act medium. I cannot tell you how many times Emily and I, even with the kids gone, hey, nobody act big, nobody act small, everybody act medium. Remember the clubhouse rules. We'll use that with each other. Aren't those great swing thoughts? I'll bet you remember that even if you forget the rest of what I said. So in this whole concept, this whole unified church thing, one of the things that happens is we have a lot of different generations in the room right now. And that's one of the challenges. It's one of the benefits, but it's also one of the challenges, isn't it? And so as members of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to challenge you on this. And I was just in a, a meeting this week called Convene, which is a discipleship group for Christian uh, CEOs, business owners, high-level executives. And we were talking about understanding the generational differences that affect the marketplace. And we talked about the silent generation. We talked about the boomers. We talked about the Gen Xers. And we talked about the millennials. And we talked about the, the Gen Ys, whatever better name they can come up with next, I hope. And the differences that are marked between each of those and how we don't understand one another and we're too reactive until we seek to value and respect and learn from one another. You see, I learned this in cross-cultural cross ministry years ago. Different is different. It's not necessarily wrong. That's you on that one a while. Here's a quote that Dr. Betsy Wagner, who was presenting, who's taught at Denver Seminary and a number of other places in her books, said this, and listen carefully. 
Those who bemoan the next generation's shortcomings grow more and more bitter, angry, disappointed, and cynical. On the other hand, those who bless not only grow old with grace and joy, they have a disproportionate influence on the generation that follows. It's a choice. What are we going to choose? I hope it's the latter. That's the focus for all of us in the body of Christ. Now, specifically, Paul picks up and he talks to wives first. He says to respect and support your husband as the leader of your family. Colossians 3.18 uses another word. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Oh, the pastor used the S word in church. And it's not what you're thinking. Submit's not four letters, but it's treated like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's nasty, oftentimes because of misunderstandings. But the truth of the matter is, this is something we all need to address. And you remember what I said before, irrespective of gender, irrespective of position or role, what are we to do as brothers and sisters in Christ? We are to submit to one another. That's the overarching thing. But specifically, it's focused on the relationship of wives to their husbands. Now, what does that mean? Biblical submission, according to a book called Rocking the Rolls by Robert Lewis and William Hendricks, biblical submission is a Christ-like response to recognized leadership. It's a critical component. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 says this. It uses the same thing, but it expands it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You say, well, that's cultural. That was the first century. Women didn't have, it wasn't advanced. What about the second part of that? As we, as the church, submit to Christ. Is Christ still the head of the church? Absolutely. And whether you like it or not, and I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today, and we're going to hit and run on many of them, because I want you to know this is not an isolated thing. This is not just one place in the Bible. It spoke out of in many places. And it's not just my opinion. This is, this is what God says in his word. Well, this whole headship thing, from the beginning of creation, the order of creation, Paul refers in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he addresses the issue of roles in the church and functions in the church, and he appeals back not to a cultural thing, but to the order of creation, that Adam was created first and then Eve. Not that she was anything you know, inferior in any way, shape, or form, but there were different roles in leadership that God established for people and specifically in the home. See, understand this issue of headship is not some despot. It's not some dictator. It's, that's not the mentality. That's a perversion of this position. So don't react just to the abuses of it and say, I'm having none of that. Look at what God's intent is. Here is what God, biblical headship is. And we're going to talk more to the guys in just a few minutes, ladies. So, okay, just hang with me, please. But here's a preview. Biblical headship equals leadership. And here are three things that, that Hendricks and Lewis say. It is about responsibility, not rank. In other words, who does God hold responsible for where the family goes? Priorly, primarily, it's the husband. It's the man. 
If it's not getting done, then he will enter into Christ. The second is it's about sacrifice, not selfishness. In other words, it's about servant leadership. It's how can I serve? How can I make my family to be the best version of themselves? And it's about duty, not domination. Okay, ladies, does that sound better? If you had someone that you were supposed to bring yourself under their authority, if you had that type of leader, would that be more acceptable? Well, that's the way that God's designed it. This is not about the worth or value, the importance of the person. It's about recognizing a God-ordained order of authority in the home. He says, as it is fitting in the Lord. So ultimately, this being obedient to him, Christ, first. And would you also understand this? This is more than a passive response. It's more than just responding to with someone else. It's also, there's an active component of it, and that is an active support of your husband and of the shared goals that you have from your family. From the very beginning, you go back to Genesis again, the man was created, then a woman was created as what? As a helper for her husband as a part corresponding to him, to empower him to do something he could not do on his own, which includes ruling the world as well as producing children. That word helper is not like the plumber's helper. Not at all. The very word helper is used of God, Jehovah, and other places in the Psalms. He is hardly inferior. No one is saying this is an essential component to what is here. Here's what I would say, and I've said it many, many weddings when we talk about this, though all the world may seem to be against your husband and he feels like everybody's out to get him, he needs to know that you're in his corner, that you're supportive of him, that you're his greatest fan, his greatest cheerleader, his greatest encourager, his greatest empowerer. That's what biblical submission is about. It's relinquishing even needs and wants when it becomes necessary to help your husband to become fully the man that God wants him to be. And then maybe, yes, he will provide the leadership in the home that's reflective of Christ. Rocking the Rolls said this, though, when we don't trust God in that and when women seek to lead, when you feel like there's a, a vacuum and you rush in, when women lead, husbands leave. They abdicate. Shouldn't, but it happens time and time and time again. That's why it's important. Of course, there's a need to express grievances, but there's a difference between a complaint and a criticism. In another book, His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley, he makes that distinction. He says this, a complaint is the expression of a problem that needs to be resolved, whereas a criticism adds disrespect to the complaint. We need to speak the truth in love. We absolutely do. We need to see that. When you think about submission, though, especially in that Ephesians 5 passage, if you jump down 10 verses, there's a summary of that section that I don't think is necessarily as offensive because of the term that's used, but it also speaks to what it is. He sums up that section, Ephesians 5, by saying, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, Harley was a counselor in the Twin Cities for over 50 years, estimates, and he wrote a book called, um, I don't have it up here with me, His Needs, Her Needs, 
but basically he talked about that. Why would men leave a marriage and a relationship and have an affair? And why do men leave a relation or women leave and have an affair? And basically found that over 60% in his experience and over 50 years of counseling, over 60% of the people and couples that he's around had experienced the horrors of infidelity. So he writes a book, What Are the Needs? And one of the key things that, that the wife needs from her husband is admiration. I'm sorry, one of the husband's greatest. I got this mixed up. Yeah, great, Rick. That's, that's what happens when you do stuff at 1 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, hang with me a second. The big issue is support, encouragement, voice the complaints, but don't do it with the critical spirit. That's why in Proverbs 25, 24, it says, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Really true. But I want to end on a, on a positive note. Proverbs 31 says this, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. That's a key issue. Is there trust? Do you have my best interest at heart? And I think that oftentimes whenever we're in those, those positions, ladies, it really is hard. It's hard to submit to anybody. This is not gender-specific either for guys too. Whether it's government, whether it's in work or some organization in the church, it's hard to be submissive to that God-ordained authority. It's hard in the home. And it can surface anxiety within us. And 1 Peter 1.5 gives us a reason to address that, and it's this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Even if that person in your life does not have that for you, God cares for you. Christ cares for you. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to give you, what does that look like? Well, oftentimes, some of you know my wife, Emily. I would say Emily is a biblically submissive wife. She's incredibly capable. She speaks her mind. She reminds me oftentimes what one of my professors in seminary used to say, and that is if both of you agree on everything, one of you is unnecessary, speaking to me. And it's true. Uh, she's involved in business. She very much is a Proverbs 31 woman. And so I respect her greatly. But for her to leave and come out to Arizona, away from Tennessee and away from family in Tennessee and North Carolina, to be here for 40-something years... That's hard. But because she believed that God had called me to do this, she has been here and been supportive in so many different ways. Jay has done the same thing. Jay is an incredibly capable, competent woman, and yet she is biblically submissive. Who would like to be like Jaya? All of us would. She's supportive of Tim when they were going through a time when Tim himself said he was curled up in a fetal position, not knowing what to do. Those are your words, not mine. Jay is the one that came to him and said, God brought us here to plant a church. That's what we ought to do. Friends, that's active submission as well as passively. And she was several months pregnant with their third child, not knowing if they even had a paycheck. I love the beauty of that. Beautiful outside, inside, that is true biblical submissiveness. Look there, not at what the world says this is, before you decide whether you're going to follow it or not. Okay, ladies, I told you I was going to get to the guys. You want me to do that? 
Okay, husbands, love and respect your wife as your life partner, Colossians 3.19. And I'm not going to be able to get through nearly all the rest of this stuff. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Guys, if you want to be the person, the man that God designed you to be in your home, love your wife. That's actually, we have some friends when we moved to Phoenix, I was struck by a plaque that they had on the wall. Their kids were about 10 years further down the road than ours. And this plaque said this, husbands or fathers, the greatest gift that you can give to your children is to love their mother. The greatest gift you can give to your children is to love their mother. Love her as Christ loved the church and sought to serve her. A leader and a lover, whether it's in the marketplace or in the home, is going to be someone who wants to do what it takes to let those people that are under their charge to become the very best version of themselves. Do you follow me with that? That's love, as Christ loved the church, is willing to sacrifice. It's not about you and your needs and your wants and your priorities. Will you lay those aside when it becomes necessary to meet the need in your wife and your children? That's agape love. That's biblical love. That's biblical leadership. Love like Christ. Ephesians 5, 28 through 30 expands that farther and says, Husbands, you should love your wife as you do your own body, for no one hates his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it. Now think about that. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church and loving your wife as you do your own body. If your wife is hurting... You should be hurting in the same way that if you stub your toe or hurt your arm or you've got some internal problem that's causing you discomfort in your own body, you'll pay attention to that. Why neglect your wife? You're not loving her as you would your own body, and you're not exercising a biblical role as the husband in that relationship. Harley talks about that as to how your wife needs this. She needs a sense of appreciation and affection is the term that's there. She needs to know that you care about her and that you'll do whatever it takes to meet those needs. One of the best examples I saw this is in Dr. Wayne Grudem, who's one of my colleagues at Phoenix Seminary. I had the privilege of being a group of pastors that interviewed Wayne before he ever moved from Trinity in Chicago down here. And we ask him this question as a group of pastors, why would you leave a prestigious position like you have at Trinity as a research professor and you're having all these other opportunities? And he's had many others. His education is like Harvard and Westminster and Cambridge and all these types of places. He's the uh, author of the Systematic Theology and he's the general editor of the English Standard Version. Actually, this copy of it I have is an autograph copy from Dr. Wayne Grudem. So don't steal it afterwards, all right? Be loving, don't steal. Anyway, we immured him and said, why would you ever leave where you are at Trinity to come to this little startup school in the desert? He said this, he said, I was reading in my quiet time in Ephesians chapter 5, where a husband should love his wife as he does his own body. 
And I went to Margaret and I asked her, he said, if I had the same physical challenges that you do, which are exacerbated by the cold, and it is cold in Chicago, you know that, right? If I had the physical challenges that you do, do you think we would still be living in Chicago? And she laughed. He said, I knew at that moment, I knew at that moment that I was not loving my wife as I would my own body. And we needed to move. We didn't recruit Wayne Grudem. He came to us. You know why? Because of the Spirit of God leading him to do something that was in the best interest of his wife. Wayne is a guy with all this theological knowledge, with all of the Greek and Hebrew and everything else that he knows. He could have exegeted that passage six ways from Sunday, and yet the practicality of his application is something in my heart. I said, this is the type of professor we need to expose our students to. I'm all in. Bring him in. Do we love our wife, guys, like we would our own body? It's exactly what we're called to do. We need to live with them in an understanding manner, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. This is Emily's life verse. Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to her since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You think it's a big deal to God? It's a huge deal to God. When we don't do this, when we choose not to love our wife as Christ loved the church and not to love our wife as we do our own body, our prayers will be hindered. God's saying, get it right. How can you, not, how can you say you love me when you're not living in love with the person who's right here? Is what John would say in his first epistle. Harley talks about the need for affection as a demonstration of love. When you show affection, when you show time with your wife, when you show these things, you're communicating to her, I love you, you matter to me, I value you. And isn't that what love is really supposed to be about? That's the picture that's here. In the book, Rocking the Rolls, I want to just read you this. And they say this is 25 ways to be a servant leader. And I'm just going to rapid fire, machine gun them off for you, and kind of let it land where it will. And we're going to end with this section. A servant leader includes his wife in envisioning the future. A servant leader accepts spiritual responsibility for his family. A servant leader is willing to say, I'm sorry and forgive me to his family to admit when he's wrong. A servant leader discusses household responsibilities with his wife and makes sure these are fairly distributed. A servant leader can seek the consultation of his wife on all major financial decisions. A servant leader follows through with commitments he has made to his wife. Emily, I didn't really mean that. A servant leader anticipates the different stages of this marriage will follow through and the stages his children will pass through. A servant leader frequently tells his wife what he likes about her. A servant leader provides family 
provides financially for his family's basic needs. A servant leader deals with distractions so that he can talk with his wife and family. This is one I'm still in process on. Constantly, Emily's saying, put your phone down. Look at me. Be present. You don't have to agree so quickly. <laughs> but everybody else is thinking what you just said. It is yes. That's exactly right. And I got to confess, I'm a work in progress. I'm better than I was. But by God's grace and with Emily's insistence, I'm not what I will be. A servant leader prays with his wife on a regular basis. Guys, if you want to touch the heart of your wife, pray with her and for her. Take the initiative to stop and to pray. You know some of the concerns, I hope. Pray for those concerns. Just driving down the road this morning, we're praying for some concerns with family. We're praying for concerns for business. We're praying for concerns with other things. Pray with your wife. That's loving her as Christ loves the church. There's a whole bunch more, but I'm out of time. So ladies, if you want, you can buy this book and you can put, give it to him as a gift. Actually, all of these books are great. Uh, and I do want to recommend Rocking the Rolls by Robert Lewis and William Hendricks is phenomenally helpful in understanding all of this. If you're not familiar with this, get this book and read it, digest it, work through it together. It's great. Willard Harley's book, His Needs, Her Needs, is a phenomenal resource that I would encourage you to get and use along these lines. And Tim Kimmel's book, Grace-Based Parenting, is phenomenal. How do we break up our children to teach them the way of the Lord, but also to do it according to their bent and with the grace balancing in with the love? It, it is so important that we do this the benefits of having families that are Christocentric, that are watching the father and the mother work these things out together, that's a powerful message to the children. And if you want them to obey, they obey best by what they see, not by what they hear. Friends, this is true in our families, but it's also true in our church. What did I say at the beginning? The overarching principle that is here is to do what? Submit to one another in the fear and reverence of Christ. Respect each other. Love one another. Put on a heart of humility toward each other, whether that's in your nuclear family or whether it's in the church family, even that's outside of the body of Christ. Are we reflecting Jesus? That's where we need to be. Look, this we may have a desire to do this, but it's above our pay grade, isn't it? So what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back up while we pray. But I want to pray with you and for you that God would empower us to do these very things. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, our Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the, the things that you have communicated to us in these passages. And Lord, some of these things are hard to understand and they're hard to, harder to apply. But I pray that you would help us. Help us to put them into process and into work in a way that both will honor you and will be healthy for us and for our relationships. Thank you, Father, so much for your presence with us today, and thank you for your power to accomplish this. We commit ourselves to you in all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.